Hey everyone, this is Jason Probst, that guy in Hutch, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. I'm really happy to bring in to the studio today Pippin Williamson. He's the owner of Sand Hills Brewing, and uh, I'm recording this on uh, the last weekend of September, which a year ago was uh, what we call now Food Week. Uh, it may have had some different ni- names at the time, but uh, now we call it Food Week. And this is the one-year anniversary of when Sand Hills kind of went through this process of figuring out that it was in jeopardy of losing its liquor license and that there was no real solution to this because of a very antiquated law that requires uh, the sell of 30% food in order to have a liquor license in counties like Reno County, but also in a number of other counties around the state. So I'm bringing Pippin in this week. This will publish after uh, the Food Week celebration, which celebrates this one-year anniversary of of what was really a remarkable uh, outpouring of support from a community and in some ways really demonstrates the the power of what can happen when people come together and rally around uh, helping someone else, helping a business, and making sure that they're protecting something that they want in their community. And you'll hear a lot about that in the in the conversation that I have with Pippin, but you'll also hear about some of the kind of bureaucratic uh, issues that rose up through all of this, you know, and and the people who were enforcing the law were enforcing the law as it's on the books, but it really is a demonstration of how we have a vested interest to make sure we uh, kind of stay aware of the issues. One of the things you'll hear in here is how little people actually knew about this food requirement. Uh, It's been on the books for a very long time, but many people didn't even realize it was still there, including many people who are uh, in positions of of official positions throughout the the county and the city. So you'll hear a lot about that, but more importantly, and, and we talk about this at the end of the episode, it's really important that everyone gets out and votes on this issue, especially if you'd like to do away with this really old law that doesn't really apply in today's world. You know, this this law was put in place before microbreweries were even authorized under state law. So it, that gives you some idea of how outdated it is. Now there are microbreweries all over the state in uh, different counties, and uh, people really enjoy them, and they are huge economic drivers in their communities, including here in Hutchinson. So we want to make sure we keep places like Sand Hills around and one of the ways that we can make sure that they have a good future here, as well as other businesses. You'll learn about that in the episode too. But you have to get out and vote, and you have to vote yes for beer freedom. And uh, the election will be on November 7th, and you can begin early voting in person at the Reno County Annex on October 23rd. That's over at First and Adams, uh, kind of catty corner from the courthouse. You can go in there really quick. Usually when I do it, it takes a minute or two or less to get in and cast my ballot and, and get back out. But you can also get advanced ballots mailed to you. They'll start sending those out on the 18th and you can fill those out at home and send them back in or take them to the drop box that's in front of the Reno County Annex. Or you can go on November 7th. A lot of people like to do that. Voter registration deadline, very important, you can't vote if you're not registered, is October 17th. So make sure that you're registered to vote. If you have any questions about that, I'll put some links in the show notes and you can find out whether you're registered to vote. You can even find out your polling location. But if you care about this issue, if you care about deregulating small business, if you care about kind of leveling the playing field between like a small microbrewery and a a, a big corporate chain restaurant, Um, this is what you'd want to do. You'd want to make sure you get out and vote on or before November 7th, and you want to vote yes on this ballot initiative. It's the only question that's going to be on the ballot this November, so we really encourage you to get out and do that. So with that, I hope you'll enjoy listening to this episode. Pippin does a great job. He's a great interview uh, because you ask him a question, and he will will just run with it, and he, he talks very passionately about what his experience was in the previous year and uh, and and what became known as Food Week. And I'm looking forward to celebrating that this year and a future in which people like Pippin don't have to sit and count how many uh, bags of jerky or how many pretzels they sell in order to stay in business. So with that, here's Pippin. I hope you enjoy the conversation.
Pippin, thanks for coming in today. Um, I gave a, in the intro, I talked a little bit about what went on last year, but uh, now that you're here in the studio, I want to, I want you to run through the story about we're on the one year anniversary of, of food week, which was this time where you, you realized this terrible thing, you might lose your liquor license and you had to sell an enormous amount of food in a very short period of time. So t- tell us that story about sure. how that kind of came about. Well, and thanks for having me, Jason. Oh uh, yeah. So first thing that is really important to understand is that as a microbrewery, the liquor license is absolutely instrumental to our business model. Without the liquor license, our business does not exist. Um, and so a year ago, we ended up in this scenario where we were about to lose our liquor license. And the truth was, is that losing that liquor license was, it was going to decimate the brewery. You know, we might've been able to limp along for a little bit as we tried to figure out an alternative, but the most likely, uh, reality that was going to play out was that if we lost that liquor license, the brewery was going to shut down and it would not reopen was almost certainly the, the, the fact that was going to happen. So we got in this situation um, because of this thing that is colloquially referred to as the food rule, mm-hmm. um, which is a state of Kansas law that is then uh, passed down to each individual county to enforce in one of three ways. A county can be a wet county where uh, businesses are allowed to sell alcohol by the glass without Uh, They say without restriction, but basically sell alcohol by the glass without also having to sell food. Mm -hmm. Then there's a semi-dry county, which is a a county that allows you to sell alcohol by the glass, but you have to sell food. And then there are dry counties where you can't sell any alcohol by the glass. So Reno County, where Santos Brewing operates, is a semi-dry county. So we allow liquor establishments, um, and liquor in this case refers to any alcohol by the glass, beer, wine, cider, seltzers, spirits, et cetera. Um, so Reno County allows liquor by the glass, but with the requirement that you sell food. So this rule has been around for a long time. Um, and the general uh, understanding throughout the brewing community, throughout the bar industry, throughout generally the business world of anybody who sells alcohol in the state of Kansas is that this is a rule that is not particularly enforced, mm-hmm. is not partic- is not widely known about. The ins and outs are not very clear of how it works. Uh, and that at the end of the day, if there's a problem, uh, it will you it is a something for the county and the business to you know, figure work, out. work out, you know, yeah. whether the county decides to say, nope, sorry, you have to sell more food or, or what have you. So there's this food rule. Uh, and the only time that a business reports their food sales is once every other year. Mm-hmm. So every other year we go through this process of renewing our liquor license and it's a very simple form. You know, we basically fill out our license number, our business name, address, yada, 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 all the, all the standard stuff. And then there's two lines on there where it asks you for your total sales, and ask you for your food sales, and then what percentage the food sales uh, make up of your total sales. So a year ago, we were going through this license renewal process, and we filled all that information out. And the truth is, we did not have 30% food sales. We also knew knew that we did not have 30% sales, and we knew that we were in a county where it was um, expected and were required for us to have 30% food sales. Two years prior to this, we had gone through a license renewal process, also did not have 30% food sales, and we were able to get our license renewal. No questions, mm-hmm. no comments, Just it just showed up in the mail. This last year, however, um, we got a call from the ABC after submitting our license renewal, and they hinted at that there was a possibility that they were going to do something regarding our food sales mm-hmm. because they asked if we were aware that we were in a county where 30% food sales were required. And we said, yes, absolutely. Uh, we know that we are, and we know that we didn't hit 30% food sales. So you let us know what we need to do. You know, we're more than happy to work with you to do whatever we need. You know, whether we need to make a plan to increase food sales, if you're going to give us a fine, give us some kind of penalty, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're, we recognize that we did not meet the requirement. So we accept our fate, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of weeks go by, don't hear anything. And then right, uh, right during the state fair, actually, we got an email from the ABC that said, uh, your license has been denied. Uh, We are not going to be renewing your license due to not successfully hitting 30% food sales. And that was 10 days from the expiration date of our license. Or actually, at this point, it was probably about 15 days from the time that our license expired. 
So our license renewal had been denied, and we realized that we were in a severe problem. Um, and we're in a severe problem because, as I said earlier, the liquor license is instrumental to the success of the business. Without the liquor license, we're not in business. Two, we only had 15 days, roughly, to figure out what we we're going to do. And then three, what we had just discovered was that the understanding that everybody had had throughout the beer community, the bar owners, et cetera, about the way that this food rule was going to be enforced was completely wrong, mm -hmm. or at least, or something had changed. What we discovered was that we weren't going to be issued a fine. We weren't going to be asked to you know, do better. We were not going to be required to meet with the county officials and then see what the county wants to tell us. Mm -hmm. What happened instead is our license renewal was simply denied revoked. and revoked. Yeah. Yep. And two, and within two weeks, we're out of business. Yeah. Um, With no plan. And there are a couple of things I want to make sure we really pull out and highlight there. One is that there's no remediation plan in this. It's a, no. you meet it or you don't meet it. And if you meet it, you get your license renewed. If you don't meet it, there's no grace period. There's no remediation plan. There's nothing, it, and, and and we'll talk a little bit about this later, but there's no option. It's just you yeah. you don't get a liquor license. Zero that. option. And it, I think it's really important to, to share that not only is there no option, none of this is also communicated in any way, anywhere from the ABC to business owners. Yeah. I actually spent years researching this rule, um, both prior to and throughout the last five and a half years of owning and operating the brewery to try to understand what happens if I don't sell 30% food. Mm -hmm. I asked that question to anybody that I could think of, other brewery owners, bar owners, ABC enforcement officers, county commissioners, city officials, other officials at the county. And here's the truth. Not one person could actually tell me what happened if we did not sell 30% mm -hmm. food sales. So we suddenly discovered we suddenly discovered the reality of what was going to happen now, which is that we were going to lose our liquor license. So there was there was some back and forth with the ABC over the next couple of days. Um, you were involved mm -hmm. with a lot of that. And it was actually really hard to get any solid answers from the ABC. But we ultimately came to the conclusion that there was nothing that the ABC was going to be willing to do. There was no option to work with them. There was no option to pay a penalty, no option to do anything like that. So we basically realized that we had one option, which was before the end of the month, we have to sell enough food to hit 30% food sales for the for uh, the, the license for the last 12 months. Because mm -hmm. on the renewal period, they ask you for 12 months of food sales and 12 months of combined sales, and it needs to be 30%. At that time, we had 16% food sales. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to make up the other 14% difference and, and we had 10 days to do it at that time. We, we figured this out on September 20th, and we had until the September 30th to do it. Um, and so we did some math, and we figured out what we thought we needed to do. And we initially came to a conclusion that we needed to sell $16,000 of food, uh, 14, 14 to 16. Uh, yeah. It's not an exact number due to the way the formula works, but that was our initial conclusion. Now, depending on, you know, who, who, you know, who's listening here and what your experience is, uh, you know, in restaurants or not, that may, may or may not seem like a big number, but let's put in perspective. We are not a restaurant. We are a brewery that just so happens to sell a little bit of food, mm -hmm. but beer is our business. In the previous 12 months, our total food sales had been $22,000 yeah. in, in a 12 month window. And we were suddenly facing a situation where we had 10 days to sell 16,000. Almost a year's worth of food in 10 days. In 10 days. Yeah. And we thought that that is impossible. Like we are not set up to do that. Yeah. Um, we, but we realized that was the only way to do it. So, um, and what's crazy is the way that this actually all, uh, we, w we went from like, this is a problem that we're dealing with, but it's at a little bit of a slow pace to marathon sprint in the course of about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Because what happened was at about 2.30 p.m. on a Tuesday is when we figured out this was what our option was. This is the only way that we can save this business. We quickly figured out how much food we had in the building. We quickly made a plan and we sent out an email. And we did all of that in about 30 minutes between 2.30 and 3. 
And our total food inventory was, I believe, like $250. Mm -hmm. Like literally we had like a, maybe a dozen pizzas in the building, a couple of pretzels, a couple of bags of chips. And we knew that we had to somehow sell 16000 in the next 10 days. And we don't even have $1,000 in inventory. Yeah. This is a bit of a problem. Uh, but we said, too bad. We're going to figure it out. Uh, so we sent out an email at about 3 o'clock. And that basically laid out, you know, very simply, we need you to come to the brewery. We need you to buy food. And we need you to buy a lot of it. Because if we don't sell $16,000 of food in the next 10 days, we will be out of business mm -hmm. in 11. And so if you care about the brewery, and this is a thing that you like, or this is a thing that you believe the community should have, we need you to come support us. And then we did one other thing. Uh, we, we did a lot of other things, but one of the main things that we did, which was ultimately why it was successful, is uh, A, we, uh, I called one of my staff and asked them to go to Walmart and buy as many hot dogs as he could fit in a cart. Mm -hmm. And two, we set up an online ordering option for pizzas. And we then decided to sell future pizzas yeah. because we said we only have a dozen pizzas in the building. Uh, our supplier isn't going to be here until sometime later in the week. And so we're going to sell future pizzas. And so we gave people the option to buy pizzas online uh, and then pick them up at a later date. Mm -hmm. And it took about five, maybe 10 minutes before the first order came in. And then they started rolling in so fast that my my phone and my watch could not keep up with the notifications. Uh -huh. And then at about 3.30 to 3.40, people started rolling into the tap room. And within like 15 minutes, we had a line to the door and that, do and that line didn't stop for four and a half hours. And we had 10 days to sell our 16,000. And we did it in four hours. Yeah. Before 9.30 p.m., we had already passed the $16,000 food sales mark by selling food futures, $10 to $15 hot dogs um, that we were just cooking on a grill. Thankfully, uh, we had a little bit of good luck the week before that I had just bought a grill to put on our patio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't know how we would have managed that if we didn't have that at, at last minute. Um, but it was crazy. So we got that night, we, we ended up hitting, hitting our number. We hit over 16,000 food sales in four and a half hours. And we went from like the lowest low in feeling of like this business is dead. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to lay off all of our staff. This thing I've worked on for four and a half, five years is now gone to, oh my gosh, the community showed up and they showed up in ways that we could have never imagined. Yeah. And we just succeeded. And we hit our number. We saved the brewery in four hours. Yeah. And then... Well, hang on. Before okay. we get yeah. to that, let, let, let's let's pause there. And th there's a couple of things I want to sure. pull out. But first, I want you to talk about that feeling. Be before the before chapter two of the story <laughs> starts, let's talk about, because I remember to be fair, that. there's like 10 chapters. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of chapters. They're still going on. We they're still, still we're still yeah. like, we're towards, hopefully towards the end hopefully. of this book, but, but we're there. But talk about that moment when, because I remember that night and it was crazy and I'd never seen anything like it. But it was also a very warm feeling about community. And there's a lot in the world today that's like, that makes you feel yeah. bad. And it feels like everybody's fighting each other and they're mad and they're at each other's throats. But that was like this very pure, organic moment where everybody was a part of something. Jason, it still gives me goosebumps and, and chills to think about it. Uh, because it was the most amazing experience. It was also, I mean, it was immensely humbling too. Because I'm, you know, here I was, you know, kind of bearing my soul, if you will, of like, hey, we didn't do good enough. We messed up. Yeah. But we would like help. Yeah. And if you're willing to help us, you know, come vote with your appetites and your wallets. And oh my goodness, people did it. Yeah. And, you know, I have never seen so many new faces in the brewery. I Okay, here, let's put it this way. I have never been on the receiving end of a viral campaign. Yeah. And this went viral within our community. I mean, it went... Every, every, almost everybody in town knew about it. It went around the state. It went a, even around the country. We even had some international orders come in. Yeah. And to feel that like amount of support and appreciation, it was the best testament or testimonial that we could have ever gotten that we had built something that people wanted yeah. and that was something that people cared about. I've, I've described it as I have a pretty healthy ego and I believe in what we've been building. And I think that we've built a good place. But at the end of the day, my opinion only matters so much. Yeah. What actually matters is the way the community feels. 
And the community spoke pretty loudly that night. Yeah. And it was it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. That was that yeah, that was a fantastic time. Uh, and I and I just think it's a, that's why I wanted to pause because I yeah. think it's so important to focus on that feeling a little bit of what what was that that was a real that was a real example of community and the power of it community. was it was and it was it was a little bit of a david versus goliath moment you know because mm -hmm. we're this little tiny brewery facing a wall that we have no control over that we can't change and you know facing the the state department there's a department at the state of kansas yep. basically telling us no and us in the community saying well that's not good enough so we want to stay here. And so we're going to, we're going to fight for it. Um, and then like seeing the community actually come together and pretty much unanimously agree like, hey, this is a thing that we're going to fight for mm -hmm. was really amazing. I'll tell you the, uh, there was a, a few distinct moments in that evening that I still remember incredibly well. The first was the, the sense of dread that I had. I actually, I talked to you at like, I don't know, 2.15 PM or something like that. And it was three, and you had even told me, unfortunately, I don't think there's anything we can do. Yeah. Or I don't remember your exact words, but it was something along those lines. It was pretty clear that the ABC they had were, no they were options not gonna and they were inflexible. Yep. Yeah. And then, then I had a feeling of a little tiny glimmer of hope when we came up with the plan, a, a desperate Hail Mary plan. And then it was an immense sense of energy Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, get this plan in motion in, in about 30 minutes, literally from the start, the creation of the plan to execution of the plan was like 30 minutes. And that was, it was, it was crisis mode. Like, and, and I tend to do pretty well in a crisis because I, I just get a lot of adrenaline and, and mm -hmm. we can, we can do this. And then there was this window of like 20 minutes of, I, I had gotten more or less everything taken care of. And it was the waiting. Mm -hmm. And it was the worst 20 minutes I think I've ever felt, at least related to the business. Yeah. Um, it was just this immense sense of dread. Yeah. And then the first customers walked in the door and one of our super regulars walked up and the place wasn't busy yet. There was like five people there. Walked up and said, I'd like to buy $1,000 of pizzas mm. and I want to donate them to anybody in need. And I just remember having this moment of utter shock and wait, you want to do what? And then the realization hit me of these people care mm -hmm. and they're going to come out. And then like, and that was literally the, that started the tidal wave of just person after person after person. And then we got overwhelmed yeah. and because we were not prepared for this, we were not staffed for this. We had, there was two of us <laughs> working and suddenly we had hundreds of people in the building and members of our customer base just started coming up and saying, how can I help? Yeah. Can I collect trash? Can I do dishes? Can I run food? And we had 10 or 15 volunteers that night that, that worked all night for, for not, I mean, for some, some beer and some food yeah. because they believe this place needs to exist. And, and, and then they, and then this, this continued for five days, which we'll get into, mm -hmm. but people volunteered every single day. Yeah. I think we had about 35 different people from our, uh, from our core community that all were there day after day. We had people that were volunteering to smoke meat. We had people volunteering to do dishes, to go grocery shopping. I remember handing my credit card to uh, one of our customers and just like, buy anything you need that we you can see that we need. Trash bags, hot dogs, sauces. I don't care what Whatever. they are. Just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Uh. And it was just amazing. And then, and this will lead into chapter two. Uh -huh. We got through the night and it was the most amazing feeling. And then we realized a problem. Mm -hmm. So we had, I, I re redid the formula and I put our numbers in and I, you know, we had just succeeded in hitting the sales that we needed. And then I, I figured out the food sales percentage that we are now at for the last 12 months. And we started at 16% and we were now at 21%, still 9% short. Yeah. And I thought, how, how is that possible? We, we just, we did more than we needed. How do we, how are we only at 21%? Yeah. And we realized a fatal flaw, which was that first of all, well, there was two problems. Number one is that we, and this is a 100% our error and my mistake that I didn't realize until just that moment is we had misunderstood the formula. We had thought that the, the food sales percentage 
was if you sell $1,000 of beer, you need to sell $300 of food. Mm -hmm. Turns out that's not the case. The actual formula is your combined sales. Mm -hmm. So if you sell $1,000 of, of beer and then $300 of food, your food percentage is is the combined is that um, combined to that, and that is not thirty percent. That's uh, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but it's definitely not thirty percent. And so we had done we had added all these food sales, but because it is it's a percentage of the combined total, every dollar of food sales that we did, all sixteen thousand dollars of food sales, was hurting us. Actually, mm -hmm. even though it was getting us closer, it was hurting us. Oh, and we did one other thing that ultimately I think really helped make this thing work. We had to sell 30%. We had to get to 30% food sales. But in order for people to come, they weren't just going to stay for food. They were going to stay for beer. But for every beer sale that we made, we were going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. So we decided right off the bat, for the, for the next 10 days, all beers are a dollar. So we sold a lot of $1 beers uh, and then a lot of really expensive Cheap food, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. Because I think it was, it was like $1 beer and a $15 hot dog. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We put uh, a package, you put a package together, right? That yeah. was, yeah. Um, and at one point on that, you can't give beer away. No, right? There's we're legally all rules not allowed about to. that. You have to sell it for greater than I'm, the cost of manufacturing. Yeah. So dollar meets that, but you can't, you can't just say, here, free beer right. if you buy food. Right. And we couldn't say a penny beer. We couldn't do 50 cent beer. Yeah. And so we settled on dollar one because we knew that if we were actually going to get busy, that handling change was going to be a problem. So we just said, I'll give you, you give me a dollar, I'll give you a beer. You dollar, dollar yeah. beer, dollar beer, dollar beer. Um, and uh, so we ended that night with everybody in the community celebrating. Oh, and actually, um, we didn't realize our error until about 11 o'clock the next day. Mm -hmm. um, so the next day, we, we're getting calls from a whole bunch of different news organizations and different people doing a celebration. You and I did a, did a celebration podcast yep. sitting in the tap room. And then we had like two or three news interviews. And all of this was about this amazing turnout that the community showed for a business in need. And it was such a cool story. And we, we finished all of those. And right after that, I ran the numbers again and I realized our mistake mm -hmm. and that we were not at 30%. And so then we had to quickly call all the all of the news channels. And say, just, wait, wait, wait. Wait, pause. We need you to change the story that we just aired real quick. Yeah. And two, we had to then send out, we had that morning at like 9 a.m., we had sent out an email to tell our customers and a, a bunch of Facebook posts, we did it. You did it. Thank you so much. We succeeded, et cetera, et cetera. One hour later, we sent out, or we thought we did. <laughs> Turns out we made a mistake. And we need to sell another $8,000 of food. I think that's the number that we figured out then. Mm -hmm. And the community showed up again. Yeah. And it was, it was busier than the first day. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we beat our number again. And it still wasn't 30%. And we were just like, what is happening? We couldn't figure out how much we needed to sell. Mm -hmm. Well, we had this amazing interaction um, with a customer at the bar. I was talking to our, to our taproom manager at the time, trying to figure out like, why can, why are we getting this number wrong? I've done the math over and over and over again, and we needed 8,000. We hit 8,000, but it's still not 30%. We're, we're only at 24%. We sold $8,000 of food and we only gained 3%? Yeah. How? I don't understand. And, and this guy was sitting at the bar and he sent us an email and he said, I'm the financial controller for a large organization. And I overheard your conversation. And I just want you to know, number one, you're not stupid. Because this number is really hard to calculate. Yeah. Because it turns out it's calculus. Mm -hmm. um, and we were trying to do it with algebra. And two, I know how to figure out the formula to help you know what you have to do. Send me your numbers, and I'm going to give you a spreadsheet. And he did. And so a couple, an hour or two later, we had, a, we had a spreadsheet. And he broke it down. This is exactly like if you have this much beer sales, this much food sales, this is this is where your lines will intersect. Um, he he figured out all the math for us and built us into a spreadsheet that we could then track it, so we could actually know. And then he told us if you do this amount per day, you're gonna you're gonna hit it on this day. Yeah. And he predicted that we would hit it Thursday night, and we hit it Thursday, Thursday night. night. So one of the things to that we I want to make sure people understand about this: every dollar of food you sell required you to sell more food. Yes. Right. That's the. I mean. The, I'm not, I'm not a math guy at all, but 
the the underlying principle on this is that you couldn't every bit of food that you sold, which you think is getting you closer to where you need to be, is actually yes at the same time getting you yeah. closer, but also getting you yeah. further away it's, from. It's where you a need moving to be. goalpost. Yes, uh, and, and that was was that demoralizing. That was the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. Yeah, like at least related again related to the business. See. W- we went through, like I told you earlier, this was a, an up and down mm-hmm. of extreme emotions. I mean, we had this extreme low when we first started the week, followed by the most utter high I've ever experienced when we thought that we succeeded. To have that literally like walk off a cliff yeah. once we realized we made a mistake. But then immediately re-energized when we saw that our, when our community didn't care that we made a mistake yeah. because they came back out. And like, I mean, we admitted that we made a mistake yeah. and that we were wrong on our number and they came back out. And then we still weren't there. And so when we, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday night, we, we had done like 20 some thousand dollars in food sales in, in two days and we still weren't there, but the community thought we were. Yeah. And I realized something just awful, which was that I can't tell people that we screwed up again. I can't come out and send a third message that says, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for supporting us again when we realized that we made a mistake. And by the way, I made another mistake. We're still not there. Yeah. We need you to keep coming. So we, like, I, I realized that the, by doing that, by admit, telling people that we had made yet another mistake, ran a major risk. And should we, actually, in my defense, we didn't make another mistake. We misunderstood the formula and the yeah. goalpost just kept moving on us and we couldn't figure out why. Which unless you were an economics major, you were not going to get. We, we were not going to figure that out. Yeah. Um, but so like I remember going to bed Wednesday night and just with this absolute sense of dread because I had to figure out how to tell people we still need you to come out to support us because we haven't hit 30% yet. Even though we think we, you all think we have because you just, you know, bought 20 some thousand dollars of food in two days, et cetera, et cetera. And then I remember waking up that morning, uh, which was like literally like two hours later. I didn't, I didn't sleep hardly at all. I woke up at four in the morning and it's pouring rain. And I just like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) We, we had a couple of volunteers that had agreed to come to the brewery first thing in the morning and smoke a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of pork for us. And it's pouring rain. We can't smoke we can't put it at smokers outside in the pouring rain. So I'm like, I guess I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to go buy a canopy tent. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting there to, to Walmart at like 5.30 and realizing, shoot, they're not 24-7 anymore. Yeah. They don't open until 6 o'clock. And I remember just sitting in the parking lot, pour, drenched in the rain, like with just like feeling this. It was not a cleansing rain. Let's put it that yeah. way. It was an absolute like ocean of demoralizing yeah. depression. <laughs> uh, just waiting with this, you know, this weight of oh, what are we going to do? Yeah. Because now we are, at, we are at this point where the community had come out to support us and had bought so much food and had shown so much support. But we couldn't make the math work. Mm-hmm. We couldn't figure it out. I had spent an hour or so the night before trying to figure out what I thought we needed. And this was before we got, this is, this is actually while we we're waiting to get the, the spreadsheet from the, the very generous guy that offered it. Um, and so we're still trying to figure out what we needed. And I, I roughly figured out that I thought we needed 40 plus thousand dollars of food sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at this point you're sitting at about 24. I think we're somewhere between 20 and 24. Yeah. And I just thought like, there's, I, I mean, yeah, it's possible, but it's still so far away. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? But, and again, you know, because we are our our own worst enemies, you know, I could have definitely stepped back and realized, hey, we just did that in two days. We got eight days left to go. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, we're exhausted at at this point. And uh, so anyway, I got the tent. I got it to the brewery. I set it up in the pouring rain and we smoked meat for the next eight hours. And uh, and then we did it again. We did the same thing. And again, the community showed up uh, Lieutenant governor showed up, uh, people from all around the, 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 the city and the County and the state showed up, uh, you know, more news organizations, et cetera. And we ended that day on a pretty good high Yeah, because we weren't there yet. And that was Thursday. Yeah. We weren't there yet, but throughout earlier in the day, we had gotten our spreadsheet and we actually, we, at that point, we knew the math. 
We knew where we had to be. And we knew going into Friday that we had a very small window to cover. I think um, I think I said earlier that we 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 hit our number on Thursday. It was wrong. It was Thursday. It was Friday at some Friday. Point. Okay. But I think we went into Friday like eight hundred dollars short yeah. or something like that, and we had a gangbuster turnout. I mean, the single busiest day we've ever had, and and we hit it at about two o'clock, uh, and we knew that we hit it. Yeah. Um, and at that point, we went back from you know super down. To super high, <laughs> uh, and and then we were able to go into Saturday with just all right. This is going to be nice and yeah. chill. This and is relaxed. cushion. This is cushion <laughs> uh, because we also knew that we were not going to chance it. Yeah, uh, you know, there's no way that we were going to you know be within a few hundred dollars and then have ABC come back and be like, well, your math is slightly off, and it's you got twenty nine point nine percent. Yeah, and we're like, no, that is not yeah. going to happen. So we we were able to go into Saturday with. Um, Knowing that we were there and we were building cushion. Yeah. And then Sunday you closed. And Sunday Because yep. <laughs> by that point you had been 10 days straight, I think. No, no it was five. So was we five had days? planned okay. to go 10 days because 10 days is, was our window. Okay. But we only went five because we succeeded in hitting our numbers at, in, in five, five days. five days. Okay. Um, and so we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that came out. But I also want to make sure that we mentioned that there was a number of businesses that also came out and said, I'd like to pre-buy a whole bunch of pizzas for my staff sometime in the future, yeah. you know, a year from now, six months from now. Uh, we had we had one local business that bought $5,000 of pizza to donate um, to various organizations, nonprofits, food bank, um, et cetera. And so we had just absolutely amazing turnout. On Sunday, we decided to close. We had planned to keep going, but we said, look, we are safe. We are so tired. Yeah. And also, we went through, I think it was 54 kegs of beer for $1 piece, and we had like four kegs left in the building. <laughs> we were going to run completely out of beer. Well, that's the thing I was going to talk about, because you are, a, I mean, at the core, you're a microbrewery, yeah. and you you don't always, I mean, you have beer brewing all the time, yeah. but you're not used to serving hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers no. at a time. And that's what you had. Yeah. You know, our our, our standard volume uh is you know we'll we'll go through a few kegs a day and then on, on like on a Friday we might go through five or eight kegs or something like that. We were doing like fifteen kegs a day um, at least at one dollar a piece. And normally what we're also doing is that you know throughout the week we're we're, we're brew, we brew five days a week we package a day or two a week we have a constant cycle of new beer coming in and and into the inventory. But we stopped everything and yeah. we just started selling everything we had. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so then we, so we shut down for uh, for about five days to give everybody a break, and uh, we were able to then go to the ABC and give them a new submission to our license renewal, and they approved it in like fifteen minutes flat. Yeah. So. So no, yeah, and the, and then after that it was, but but that's not the end of the story. No, no. Because so that so now, um, take us to you know where we we have we've got that you've got two years of breathing room, um. We we decide uh, in that time that we've got to, as a community, uh, get rid of this food rule mm -hmm. and 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 talk about that a little bit. You went before the county commission and got them to put it on the ballot, yep. but you had some other conversations so, around that too. Actually, if I if I may, before we do that, um, one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand about this food law is I, I said earlier that. No one could tell us what would happen if we didn't hit 30% up until the day that we tried to renew without 30% for the second time. Mm -hmm. um, but also, when we were going through the license renewal process, um, we had, we had a, uh, a customer service agent at the ABC who reiterated for us a general, something that we believe to be true about this food rule, which is basically that one, it's not actually enforced usually. Mm -hmm. And two, it's blatantly abused because there are establishments all over the state of Kansas in food rural counties that definitely don't do 30% food sales. Um, and when we were going through this renewal process, our, our, uh, our agent actually strongly suggested that we resubmit a form with fake data, mm -hmm. with fake information so that they could issue us a license renewal. So I mentioned that because it's, I think, you know, one, some of the questions that come up a lot of times when people are asking us about this is, well, you know, didn't you know that this would happen? And 
there's obviously there's a lot of truth to that, but we were also working within us. Um, the entire uh, we're working within a, within a law that is constantly broken, mm -hmm. constantly abused. People find workarounds all the time. Uh, and so when we have a problematic law like that, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty about it. Yeah. So, okay, let's but, go. But, but I, I want to, I want to hit something on this too. The, we, and we heard, and I've certainly heard, and I know you've heard, um, direct examples from other businesses who say, oh yeah, this is what I do. Yeah. I get to the end of the month and I check my percentage mm -hmm. and I just say, well, everything is food at this point. We, we had, we had two business owners during that week. Um, former business owners, mm -hmm. um, that, that came to us and said, oh yeah, this is, that's what I did yeah. is I just, I rang up all my beer as food yeah. and I, you know, I started, uh, you know, pretend I sold hot dogs that didn't exist. Yeah. Those types of things. And I think it's really important to say that like anytime we are encouraging people to, to be dishonest or creating a system that encourages people to find a way around the system instead of dealing with it honestly that's that's corrupted and it's yeah. part of why we need to change the law not every law is just and not every right. law has held up over time and this is certainly one of them and i think there's no better evidence of that than the fact that you're actively encouraging people to lie in order to remain in business and protect yeah. their livelihood and and we refused to do that yeah um we were not we did not lie during our submission process for the renewal we shared our actual numbers and then when we were told to go back and redo our figures, we said, no, I'm not going to do that yeah. um, because the numbers are what they are. Um, and, you know, one, I'm not going to put my team and my business further at risk by intentionally forging a state document mm -hmm. with a signature on it. I'm not going to do that. Um, and so, you know, in a way, we were ultimately penalized for being the honest ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so circling back now to... Um, after that week, um, we felt very strongly that this was the opportunity that we had to try to change this law mm -hmm. and ensure that this does not impact other businesses in the future. And it's, I think it's important also to mention that we had tried to change this law years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I approached all of the county commissioners several years ago to make them make sure that they were aware of this law. And some of the prob uh, the problems and the the, the challenges with it, um, and a couple things on that. One, all of them agreed that this is a this was a silly law that we should get rid of. They did not agree, however, to put it up for a vote. Mm -hmm. um, and also, none of them at that time were actually aware of the law mm -hmm. until I talked to them. Um, I, so the way, and I don't mean this to sound self-righteous in any way. Uh, I personally educated the entire county commissioners, all of them about this rule. Yeah. The reason I share that is because it just goes to show how even if, if a county law, if the people that run the county don't know about, don't it. know about it, how are businesses supposed to know about it? Yeah. I only knew about it because I'm the kind of guy that goes and researches all the laws about, you know, in the industry that I work in. Yeah. Um, to make sure you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's just one more point to reinforce the belief that the, the entire brewing community had of this law is not really going to be enforced. No. And if it does, it's going to be a minor issue. Yeah. Um, didn't you find it remarkable during that time too, how many people in general didn't know this was a thing? Oh, the, you, the number of people that, that came up to me and said, I thought we fixed that back in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, and no, because the, the, the actual truth is that this, this law came into its current form in 1986. Yeah. Um, and before that, unless you were a private club, there was no, or considered three, two, that's a way too big of a history to get into here. Yeah. But, um, you couldn't sell out alcohol in a glass at all right. unless you had met some very strict requirements. Mm -hmm. um, and we moved from that to the 30% food rule. And it's been there so long, people forget. It becomes the water you swim in. Yep. People have completely forgotten that that's a thing. And, and also, th this law predates w before breweries were even legal yep. in the state of Kansas. Which the was first, 1989. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the same year the first brewery opened, yeah. uh, which is Free State up in Lawrence. Um, so... 
Okay, so we felt after this week, we had gotten a ton of attention. Uh, we had gotten attention from news organizations, from the community at large, from all, all around the state, including up to the state government. Uh, we mentioned earlier that Lieutenant Governor uh, David Tolan came in and paid us a visit during that week. We had a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. And we felt that this was the opportunity to try to get a change to happen. Because not only did we have a lot of attention on the issue, we also had ourselves to to act as a prime example of the consequences if this law doesn't get changed. Yeah. And so I went before the county commissioners again, um, along with a couple of uh, supporters to uh, uh, voice support for, for putting this up for a vote. And we asked them once again, please put this on the vote on the ballot to vote on. The community has just come out in force mm -hmm. to vote with their appetites and their wallets to say, we believe this thing should be here. And so that, you know, and it was, our total sales was, it was $42,000 in food sales for that week. And the reason the commissioners previously had not agreed to put it on the ballot was because they, they said, we want to make sure that the people of Reno County want this to be voted on. And they didn't feel that it was like sufficient. a pressing issue. They didn't feel it was a pressing issue, yeah. especially not if just one business owner was bringing it to their attention. Yeah. But now we had enough public support that they they were able to acknowledge safely, I guess, if you will, yeah. you know, to, to their political careers, yeah. uh, that the community does indeed want this yeah. to happen. And so they agreed to put it on the ballot. And that brings us to where we are now. So here in uh, about a month and a week or mm -hmm. so, on November 7, Reno County votes to get rid of this rule. Yeah. And so for the last couple of months, we have been actively campaigning and, you know, doing it the best that we can to, sh to spread the word about this issue and remind people of what we've called Food Week, of what happened last year, to try to encourage anybody who was there or anybody who cared about this issue happening last year to go out and vote. Because this November, we get to vote on whether or not this type of problem can ever happen again. And so that's where we are now. It was on well, so we'll take the vote. So, and you're kind of working on like spreading the word about this, and then people that have seen the beer freedom signs around the vote yes for beer freedom. Um, tell us what exactly uh, we're vote like. What is the what is going to be on the ballot? So, on the ballot is going to be a question, um, and there's only one question on the ballot, um, which so keeps it super simple. And so, you know, if you forget what the wording is, or if I get the wording wrong just now. Um, just remember, there's only one question. Uh, and so the question is going to say something like, shall Reno County uh, allow liquor by the drink in public places without a requirement that a portion of their sales be derived from food? Yep. Um, and it's a little bit of a wordy question. It's mm -hmm. a little bit confusing. There's multiple ways you can interpret it. But at the end of the day, there's one very simple explanation for what this question means. Should businesses, should public, open to the public businesses, which include everything from breweries to theaters to craft studios to bingo parlors to public golf courses, any business that currently or potentially could include a liquor license, should they be permitted to sell alcohol directly to their customers without the requirement of selling food? And if you believe that it should be the case, you should vote yes. A vote no or abstaining from voting is to stay with the status quo where businesses are required to sell uh, a significant portion of food. Now, uh, you've, you've talked a little bit about how this doesn't just affect your business, but that there are other businesses that um, would also benefit from getting rid of this rule. Can you talk about, and you've had some conversations mm -hmm. with some of them, can you talk about them a little bit? Sure, of course. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different businesses that would uh, either like to include a liquor license or currently do include a liquor license um, that are not bars and restaurants. You know, bars and restaurants are the easy ones. Those ones, and, and, and breweries, you know, those, we, uh, you know, we, we get it. Mm -hmm. They sell alcohol, they may sell food, et cetera. But there's a lot of other businesses that can also include alcohol as part of their core business model uh, to, with very effective outcomes. Movie theaters, the, uh, the community theaters, such as here in town, our Fox Theater, our Flag Theater, et cetera, um, you know, perfectly normal to allow somebody to buy a glass of wine mm -hmm. uh, or, or, you know, a can of beer during during a performance or a movie. Um, 
right now, they're not really able to do that unless they very carefully monitor their food sales, ensure they sell enough popcorn and candy bars mm -hmm. and, you know, super expensive concessions. Um, this is also one of this one of the many reasons why concessions at theaters are really expensive. Really, yeah, because yeah. that's how they make up their food sales. Yeah, um, but it's also not just it's not just theaters. Take a public golf course, for example. We have several public, at least two public golf courses in Reno County. Mm -hmm. Very normal to enjoy a beer or two out on the golf course. A lot of people are not aware that they are required to sell a hot dog for ever, or you know, a, a hot dog or some other food item yeah. for every single beer that they sell, and if they don't. They can't sell beer anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, do we think that it should be required that a golf course be a restaurant as well? You know, some, obviously some golf courses have those built in their sure. business models, but some don't. Some don't. But there's, but then there's also other businesses. There's several craft studios here in town. We have, um, I think, three of them on Main Street at mm -hmm. least, uh, where you know they offer workshops and classes, um, mostly in the evenings. Um, is and they would like some of them currently do. To be able to include, you know, selling a glass of wine or a cocktail or a beer to to their workshop participants while they're there, you know, working on the craft product, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, a very low-key, casual, enjoyable environment. Um, and then, you know, just think of any other how about how about a bingo parlor? Mm -hmm. Um, we have one caddy corner to the brewery. Shouldn't they be able to, if they wish, yeah. to be without able to, worrying about becoming a full-scale restaurant, too, right? right? Businesses ultimately should be able to focus on the thing that they do. You know, for us, we are a brewery. Beer, beer is unapologetically what we do. Mm -hmm. A craft studio or an art studio should be able to focus on their craft. Um, you know, any kind of, whether it's a bingo parlor or any other type of game, should be able to focus on the game um, as, as their core business, but be able to supplement it with, with additional um, revenue streams, such as the sales of alcohol. Um, this doesn't seem like a, this doesn't seem like a crazy proposition. Yeah. Um, but right now in Reno County, you can't do that unless you do one of two things, be a full scale restaurant or lie on your books. Yeah. Because the way that this law was engineered, um, the way it was constructed from the very beginning was basically to make it impossible for there to be a liquor establishment and a liquor establishment literally just means a business that has a liquor license yeah. is impossible for a liquor establishment to survive and continue to operate if they don't sell food. Yeah. Um, primarily sell Primarily food. food, yes. That's the thing, right? It's like if you if you, you have to primarily be a restaurant and then sell alcohol, right. that's the only way you really make this. The Sandals Brewing has sold food almost since day one. Yeah. You know, not from the very, very beginning, but close to it. Um, you know, we, we sell a lot of pizzas. We sell a lot of pretzels. We, we bring in food trucks every other week or so. And we don't, we can't hit 30% food sales. Yeah. Um, the closest we've ever gotten, and and this is with a, a, a very large food push, was I think 28%. But even now, even post-food week last year, when we had that crisis where we almost lost our, our license, our food sales have doubled, and we're still not at 30%. Yeah. And that's, that just shows, look, this law is intended to not be compatible with small establishments like Sandhills Brewing that are focusing on their, their, their main craft and don't want to be a restaurant. There's another uh, business that I'd like to highlight that um, if this passes, um, will be enabled in Reno County. If you've ever wished that we could have a higher end, either casual or formal, low key wine or cocktail bar, mm -hmm. that's what this law currently prevents. Yeah. Those cannot exist in Reno County today. But if we pass this on November 7, we can do that. And I know that there are currently two different boutique hotels that are being remodeled right now that have it in their plans to include a higher end, nice evening bar. Um, and they, I believe they're counting on this law passing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the repercussions or the implications for this law go much, much further than you and much further than Sand Hills. And probably in some ways we can't even imagine. Yes. There's other communities that, like you said, bingo parlors or civic events or anything like that, they have a lot more flexibility just because everything that happens in Reno County, it really is holding Reno County back in a lot of ways yeah. because everything we do, have, this has to be a consideration if it includes alcohol at all. Right. You know, the, uh, there's a couple of different examples I'd like to, to add for that. So one is that if we look at the map of counties in the state that have either never had this rule or gone away from this rule, it is almost a perfect map 
of the most economically prosperous counties mm -hmm. in the state. Let's pick on Sedgwick County for a moment. They got rid of this um, somewhere around five years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of options for places that you can go visit as a customer in Sedgwick County that are viable, one, because of obviously the population base of Sedgwick County, but also because of this rule getting changed. Mm -hmm. If you've ever gone to any of the, the higher end establishments that are not restaurants there, um, or not even just higher end, if you, if you visit any of the breweries or you visit any of the, you know, the, the cigar bars or the wine bars, et cetera, or any of the, uh, the activity places, um, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a, an axe throwing place, a craft studio or whatever, there's a lot of them in Sedgwick County, in Wichita, that are currently open today. And if you ever thought to yourself, man, I wish we could have something like that in Reno County. And so it is, there are a lot of economic business opportunities that get passed up and go to somewhere like Sedgwick instead because of this rule. Yeah. If I was to, for example, uh, if I was to pretend it be someone else for a moment and I was going to consider opening up a place in Reno County that had a that had a liquor license, but I was not going to be a restaurant, I I definitely wouldn't do it, no. especially not if I read any of the local news stories and I found out about the food crisis from last year. Yeah, because that would be a giant red flag that says, whoa, OK, hold on. Not viable. Well, so it's bad. It's a hard place to do business. It's hard unnecessarily complicated. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's an important point, like as we get ready to go into the vote the voting season on this particular issue it you know you hear things in town all the time but if 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 you happen to be one of the people that are like oh hutch doesn't have anything or whatever then you you have to think about going out and voting uh yes on on this vote because this is one of the reasons when you're doing this comparison between us and other communities yeah this is a reason why we're kind of lagging behind in some yeah. ways it's, it's a major one yeah and um it's also important to mention that our neighboring county, McPherson, is voting on the same exact issue also this year. Hypothetically, if they pass it and they and they get rid of the food rule and Reno County doesn't, I don't think it's a stretch of imagination at all to see McPherson County um, and, and McPherson proper uh, get a lot of businesses in the in the coming years that we would wish that we had here. Yeah. Um, and it will be because of this rule because uh, it really does. It impacts, there's a much deeper economic impact to this law than most people realize. I mean, I think the general belief is, oh, well, the, you know, this is just a thing for bars and restaurants and, you know, it doesn't impact anybody else. But that's really not true. Well, and you and I have talked about this and we've read articles about this. Like breweries, particularly in small rural towns, become economic drivers. And it's, oh, yeah. it's not necessarily that they're hiring tons of people or, or anything, but what it is, is it creates a sense of place. Mm -hmm. It creates a, a community and it makes it a, a small town, a place people want to live and do things. And a place that people want to visit. And they want to visit. And it starts to just create sort of its own energy. Mm -hmm. And then that attracts employers and that attracts employees. And it's just a, it's a virtuous cycle that keeps uh, moving in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, the evidence to back that up is, uh, prolific at this oh, point. Yeah. I mean, and it's been, it's been looked at and studied all around the country. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's no question about it. Well, and I, I'll give a shout out to another brewery at Irrigation Hills up in mm -hmm. Cortland is a good example of that up in Republic County, which yeah. I think they voted to get rid of they the did. food rule. Uh, a year or two ago, uh, I think it was I think it was two years two ago. Two years ago, uh, and and they did it. It was it was pretty much mandatory to get rid of that in order for the brewery to open. Yeah, um, and uh, they they were successful. Yeah, uh, they were successful. Butler County was successful. Um, Johnson County was successful. All three of those voted this this rule away within the last three years. Yeah, so now it's our turn. Yeah, so w election day is November seventh. Um, early voting starts on the 23rd of October. The, I believe it's the 23rd and registration to, uh, the deadline to register to vote. If you're not registered is October 17th. And I will double check all this information and make sure, uh, but early voting, if you haven't done it, if you're the kind of person that, uh, uh wants to get things out of the way, that early voting is so simple. You can go down to the Reno County Annex. There's, I do it all the time. At First I, and Adams. Yeah. First and Adams. There's never a line. It takes um, five minutes or less. It's so easy. And so fast. easy. I used to be a big vote on election day because I wanted to, you know, make a big do of yep. it. But now, um, you know, I never know if I'm going to be 
tied up, away for work, sick, uh, car trouble, anything like that. So I always tell people, you know, in, in normal uh, odd year elections, uh, even year elections, we talk about voting plans. Um, and the reason is that you never know what's going to happen. It, the election day is one day, but it's actually not. It's about 20 days. And there's a period that you can go in there and vote. So I encourage everybody to go in and vote early. And I know that there's lots of confusion around how elections work. And there's a lot, especially at the national level. But let's get something very, very clear here. In a local county election, every single vote is counted and every vote counts as one. And in order to pass a rule like this, it only has to be one greater than the opposition. Yep. And so if 4,000 votes get cast, all we need is 2,001. Yep. And, and, the, uh, and we'll pass this issue. Yeah. Yep. And that's, uh, and that's really true. It, the, the, if you have ever have any questions about how elections work, the county clerk's office will sit down and go over, and they do it all the time. They sit down with people, explain how things work, explain their process. Every time I've talked to them, I've been very impressed with how much effort they put into managing the election fairly and, and very well. Um, but the main thing is, if you care about this issue, if you care about business and you care about, uh, I mean, freedom, basically, not to overstate it, but this is a really onerous regulation, and it's one that's harming our town uh, and communities in the county. Um, and we have the example of that in what you dealt with last year. So uh, everybody that cares about this has to get out and vote and make sure your voice is heard and your vote vote is counted. Absolutely. And uh, it's we need people to vote yes, um, because if you, you vote yes in order to say Get rid of the food rule, revoke the food rule, let businesses operate in with more freedom to focus on their craft, focus on the thing that they do that, you know, got them to start the business to begin with and stop worrying about need needless regulations that really don't do any good whatsoever. Um, so, so old, nobody even remembered them. Yeah. <laughs> not even our county commissioners. Not, not to pick on them for a moment. But. No, but it's a, it's a very telling thing, right? Yeah. It's like if, if the people in charge of things at the, at the county don't even know that the laws are in effect, I think that it causes some pause about whether the, this is a yep. needed thing anymore. Absolutely. And then even like, you know, our, when the enforcement officers from the ABC can't even give a clear answer on what happens if you aren't in compliance or, you know, what, uh, you know, who, is this thing going to be enforced? How is it going to be enforced? Yeah. You know, if we can't have clear answers like that, then this is not a well thought out law and regulation. No. You know, this is something that was slapped together and people are making it up as, as we go. I mean, the fact that we couldn't a year ago that we could not get a direct answer from the ABC until you, our house representative, directly talk to the director it took talking to her talking to the director to actually get an answer of what are the options yeah because they could not give them to us and i don't think it is outrageous to have an expectation that when there are regulations in place and when there are laws in place there should be very clearly laid out consequences for not following those regulations yeah. and in the absence of clearly laid out consequences, then this re regulation probably shouldn't be there. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's such a weird, and it's a constitutional issue. And that's like, so I don't want to get in the weeds with that, but it's not even the sort of thing that like lays it out in statute that just says, if this happens, then this happens. And if right. this doesn't happen, that happens. It's just a black and white, you do this or else. Yeah. And it's in the state constitution. Well, and then there's, there's other, you know, interesting layers to it that, you know, if we want to, we can dive into, but like, there's no definition of what food is. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you, you and I have had a lot of conversations about <laughs> about that because technically the brewery is licensed as a food producer right. in order to manufacture beer, and so beer is food, right? Yeah, yeah. That you know that was our opinion. Well, we had a little fun with that in the legislature last year too because uh, there was the bill dealing with dogs in the breweries, and and one of the issues why dogs weren't allowed in breweries in the first place is because they're considered food establishments yeah. and they're inspected by the Department of Agriculture and treated as food establishments. Yeah. And so therefore we are a food manufacturer, we sell food. And so all of our beer sells are food, right? That's, I mean, it, there's a logic there that makes sense to me. Beer is food. Uh, it's made from grain. It's also, there's a lot of history, especially if we go back to the Bavarian monks of, you can live on beer. Yeah. I'm not saying that you should. It's not a good idea, <laughs> but it do, it has enough calories to actually sustain a person. Yeah. Uh, and again, isn't that the de like the 
the scientific definition of food is, you know, something that sustains our bodies. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Everything is so weird in the, in the, and can like I said, Kansas has, I said this in my introduction that Kansas has a kind of awkward and, and uncomfortable history with, with alcohol. And certainly you, you look back a hundred years and look at that history and you see the, the remnants of it still here today. Oh yeah. Well, Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for talking about this. And thanks for having such a fantastic place that for me has been uh, kind of a social hub for me. I have so many friends that I see in there all the time. I can go over there and work. And also, uh, I get to have some really good beer and I don't have to buy, all, you know, not anybody that likes their big mass market beer, that's fine. But this is like, this is like a delicacy to me and what you guys, I've always said it from day one when you were just the little tap room filling growlers in the back. Uh, and I would take people there and say, what they do with beer is nothing short of art. And that is still true today. Well, thank you, Jason. And, uh, you know, it's it's our hope that we can continue to just focus on that and uh, not uh, worry about all the intricacies and the challenges of becoming a restaurant, because that's not what we want to be. We want to be a small community driven place. Um, you know, we are we are built for the community. And I think it is very accurate to say that we have been built by the community, especially at this this point in time, um, especially with the amount of community support from last year and beyond. Um, and so that's what we really want to do. We just want to focus on our beer and we want other businesses to be able to focus on their craft and their business, whatever it is, and not worry about uh, food sales relating to alcohol. Um, and so if, if you think that's what people should be able to do, uh, then please go out and vote yes, uh, on or before November 7. Um, and if you are listening to this after November 7, then, uh, look up the results and hopefully they're positive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Jason. Yep. I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son, Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art, and Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast in Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyandhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. A Salt City Sound production.